Today's second reading is Pastor Solberg's sermon text in which we are told to walk as children of light and to recognize what is pleasing to the Lord. The second reading is from Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. This is the word of the Lord. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You probably know them all by heart by now, don't you? And today we have added to this this tree, the fruit, goodness, because we're talking about, about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That list is not complete. Uh, well, I don't think it was meant to be complete. I can add at least two more things to that list. One is, for, is forgiveness. To learn to forgive, because forgiveness is, can be hard. And generosity, because Christians are generous people. And so these are the things that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into our lives, because as Christians, the Spirit of God wants to transform our lives and make our lives better, to give this foundation that I talked to the boys and, boys and girls about. A foundation. And today in this list, we're talking about goodness. We say, my goodness. Ever said that? My goodness. Do you know what that means? Does anybody know what that means? Now, at the first service, I said, if you know what my goodness means, please come and tell me because I don't know. I don't know why we say that, my goodness. And, and nobody came up to tell me. If somebody here understands my goodness and what it means and why we say it, please see me after the service because I'd like to be educated about that. Goodness. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 23, verse 6. Goodness and mercy. A little boy once heard those words, goodness and mercy, and what he heard was, good Mrs. Murphy. <laughs> and he wondered why good Mrs. Murphy was going to follow him all the days of his life. <laughs> goodness. Yes. Goodness is a word that has lots of, of, of subtle meanings. And today I've chosen to address the theme of goodness, uh, from the point of view of something that a Bible scholar said very many years ago, uh, what goodness means here, and that is moral excellence. But here, goodness means moral excellence. A Holy Spirit wants to provide in us 
moral excellence. That as Christians, the Holy Spirit wants to create all of this fruit, wants to ripen all of these things in us, and one of them is goodness, which is moral excellence. I thought about the first century church, the time when the church was just getting started, and I wondered, who taught moral excellence in the first century? How do people learn about moral excellence and morals in general? And I came to the conclusion that there weren't a lot of people teaching morals and, and moral excellence. In about the year 350 or 340 B.C., the great Greek philosopher Aristotle wrote a series of books called the Nicomachean Ethics. Uh, they were named after either his father or his son, both of whom's names were Nicomachus. The Nicomachean Ethics, they're well known in the Middle Ages. They were very influential on the thinking of Christians. The Nicomachean Ethics. But I think that the writings of Aristotle never got down to the common man. Uh, never got down to what, do you know, who knows the Simpsons? Say, Mr. Burns would say to Joe Lunchbucket. The teachings of Aristotle never got down to Joe Lunchbucket. Never got down to the common man. Anybody here ever read the Nicomachean Ethics? Anybody's life been transformed by the writings of Aristotle? I read it, I don't remember a word of it. So I don't think the writings of Aristotle did much to teach values and morals and ethics. Surely the religions of that day didn't, because the religions of that day were concerned with keeping the gods happy by sacrifice, because they knew that if you didn't appease the gods, they'd come after you and make your life miserable. I can't imagine the cult of Ares, the god of war, teaching morals and values and ethics. And I can't imagine the cult of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, teaching morals and values and ethics. Indeed, in many of the religions of that day, there was temple prostitution. Prostitutes were connected with the temple itself. When you think about life, the value of life, in those days, I think about half the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. They were property, they were chattel, and you could do whatever you wanted with them. Life was cheap. So you could take Christians and throw in the, put them in the Colosseum in Rome and sick lions on them, and people would watch them being torn apart by lions, and they would cheer. So much for the value of life. As for marriage... Well, adultery was common. Women didn't have any rights at all. You could cheat on your wife, you could do whatever you wanted, so there were no values and morals and ethics. And I think, as, I, as I, the little I know about the first century, there were not a lot of people who were teaching morals and values and ethics. And I think that the, uh, the, one way to understand the moral climate of the time, have the next slide, is from the reading from last Sunday from Colossians. And I'd like to look at this with you. Here's what St. Paul wrote to Christians living in the Turkish city of Colossae. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, 
evil desires and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two, you too once walked, but, but when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off this old self with its practices. This is the, the kind of life these people were leading before they were Christians, and it appears it's the kind of life they were leading after they were Christians. And not only was that true in the city of Colossae, here's a reading from Ephesians chapter 5. But fornication and impurity of any kind, or greed, must not even be mentioned among you, as is proper among saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this. No fornicator or impure person or anyone who is greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, when St. Paul talks about people living like that, these are the good guys. These are the people who were Christians. This is the kind of life they come out of. And evidently, at least some of them were still practicing it. So it seems to me that in the old world, in, in the first century, there were not a lot of people teaching morals and values and ethics. And then came the Jews. Because Judaism was a moral religion. The Jews had the Ten Commandments. They had these ten wonderful words from the Creator about how life should be lived. The first three were about God. The next seven were about our relationships with each other. Uh, family, life, sex, property, reputation, and the last two were about wanting other people's stuff. These were central to the Jewish religion, and they were taught to Jews, and they were taught to people who became Jewish by choice. They had the law, God's law. But you know, still, the law did not stop the Jewish leaders from arranging the killing of Jesus. Then came the Christians. And Christianity built on Judaism because the law of God is still the law of God. The Ten Commandments to this day are still God's rule. But the problem was you couldn't keep it. And so God, and I'm not telling you anything new here, right? Nothing new here. God sends his son. God says, you can't keep my law. You offend me when you break my law. Therefore, I'm sending my son to die for you to take away your sins, to make us friends once again, and to help you transform your life. That's the meaning of Jesus. Next slide. Now, the problem with the law was you couldn't keep it. Anybody here have any success keeping the Ten Commandments? Any? No, I don't see anybody. Here's what Paul wrote. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. That is to say, people who think that they can save themselves by keeping the Ten Commandments are wrong because you can't do that. And the Ten Commandments, there was nothing to get people to keep it. Think about driving. Why do you drive the speed limit? 
One reason. Fear. Right? Anybody got a fuzz? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you have a fuzz, you know what a fuzz buster is? Right? If you've got a fuzz buzzer in your car, that means you're afraid. And that's the only reason you keep the law. Because you want to break it. And that's the way it is with, with the Ten Commandments. And nothing you say and do to people can make people keep the law. I love the story about the man oh, who ran his car into the ditch. And he couldn't get it out. And so um, another guy came along and he said, uh, you need help? He said, yeah, well, I'll... I'll help you get your car out of the ditch. And so he went, he opened the back door of his car, and he took out two puppies. And he put the puppies in a kind of a harness, and harnessed the two puppies together, and then took a rope and took it from the two puppies and tied it to the bumper of the car in the ditch. And the first guy said, Do you think you're going to pull my car out of the ditch with those two puppies? And the fellow said, sure, I've got a whip. That is to say, if I, if I beat the dogs hard enough, they're going to work hard enough to pull your car out of the ditch. Is it going to work? No. See, that's the thing about the law. You can yell at people all you want to keep the law. If they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. That's why the law failed. And that's why Jesus Christ, our Savior, came. To redeem us. To save us. To send his son to to die for us. And so the Christian message, and there's nothing new here now, right? You heard anything new? Maybe about the dogs. (laughs) But there's nothing new here. Because Jesus came to forgive our sins. And preaching about sin and forgiveness is is out of style. Preaching about sin and forgiveness has probably been out of style for, what, 50, 60, 80 years? The last great preacher preaching about sin and redemption was Billy Graham. Billy Graham, have you been to the Billy Graham meetings? One. Billy Graham had one message. Sinner, come to Jesus. That's the, and that's still the message uh, of the church, but the world has rejected that message. So we say, we are by nature sinful and unclean. And the world says, no, no, we are noble and we're good. We say, sinners need a savior. And the world says, no, no, we need education. If you educate people, they'll be good then why is it some of the biggest crooks crooks are some of the best educated people you know? See? Right? So, the law doesn't work. Jesus Christ came to save us. Now, here's where the moral excellence comes in. Can I have the next slide, please? Because when you become a Christian, uh, back up one. All right. Oh, no. Well, keep going. All right. So here is, here is the gospel again. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That's the message. 
Don't forget that. That's the message. Next one. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified. I think I told you, I have to, to digress about this. When we were in, in Brazil, we went to a, a, a doings one night at the, uh, at the, 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 the uh, a, a leading government official. And I was there in my clerical collar walking around and people were watching. And a lady came up to me, and I'm the minister, and she, um, she said, Well, you know, Reverend, um, I don't need religion. I think all people are good, all people are going to heaven, and I've got my own religion. And she, I said to her, well, that's nice, ma'am, but in our church, we preach Christ crucified. She walked away. Didn't know how to deal with that. But indeed, that's the message. Christ crucified for you. Okay, next slide. And here's then about moral excellence. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. For you have died. When did that happen? Isn't that a strange thing to write? For you have died. That's what happens, William, in baptism. Baptism is a death. Baptism is a death and resurrection. You have been raised with Christ. And this is what St. Paul said to the Colossians. In baptism, when you pass through the water, you set the old life behind you. And when you came out of the water, you came out as a new person a new person created in Christ. And because you are that way, you ought to live like a new person. St. Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, that applies to all of us, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. And a new creation seeks moral excellence. Well, how did the Colossians do? How do you think they did after baptism? They didn't do very well, did they? Because they've got that whole catalog of sins that they have to fight against. Well, the, part of the reason was that they were not raised in a society. They were not raised in a church. They were not taught moral excellence. And even though they became Christians, the old ways hang on. And they had to be encouraged. And Paul encouraged them, not by getting out the whip and whipping the dogs. He encouraged them by saying, you're baptized. Live as a baptized person. How about you? How are you doing with moral excellence? How's it going with your moral excellence? Well, the church has got an answer for that. Not very well. You know, when we come into church, when we come to worship, what's the first thing we do? <laughs> we have confession of sins. Right? Now, the, the, the ushers don't stand at the door and as people come in say, have you sinned this week? <laughs> if, you ha if, if you have not sinned this week, take a seat. You can come in later. You get it, right? You get it. And if you have sinned, 
go to the first part of the service and we'll take care of your sins. We don't do that. We assume, rightly so, that everybody has fallen short, that we are still not living in, in moral excellence. But let me ask the question the other way. What are your victories? What have your victories been over sin? Shouldn't it be true that every Christian has victories over sin? Shouldn't it be true that every Christian who understands that he or she is baptized is involved in, 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 in moral excellence? How are your victories? Anybody have any victories? You don't have to raise your hand. But for every one of us, there should be victories over sin, over bad stuff. Not that we become perfect, but we're on that road to moral excellence. This is one of my favorite stories. A guy once said, I don't know if Jesus can turn water into wine, but I do know he can turn beer into furniture. You get it? Jesus, I don't know if he can turn water into wine, but I do know he can turn beer into furniture. Well, the guy was an alcoholic. And he was drinking up all his money. And then he met Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit came to him. And he quit drinking. And the money that he spent on booze, he spent on furniture. Jesus Christ turned beer into furniture. And that was a victory. And in the church, we don't celebrate victories often enough. We just talk about the sin stuff. I'd rather talk about the victories. How's your victories? Have you had any victories? Go after victories. When I was a lot younger, I asked a lady who was a little younger than I am. I said to her, I didn't say it exactly this way, but this is what I said. Now that you're old, I didn't say that. Now that you're old, um, it must be easier not to sin. It must be easier now that you're old. And she said to me, no, no. The temptations change. That in every time of life, there are struggles with moral excellence. There are struggles with goodness. And goodness is one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to create in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, moral excellence, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what's going on in you and going on in me as we allow it to happen. Moral excellence. Or, as some have said, just walking as a child of the light Amen.
The hymn is printed in the bulletin. I want to walk as a child of the light. <laughs> 